with um, my man Pierce here doing the seven seconds or more podcast. Uh, first time we've uploaded in a couple of years. Um, so um, just seemed like this NBA playoffs was definitely worth talking about. And Pierce is a big, big basketball fan. So he was the perfect person to come on here. Um, Pierce, tell me your overall in like two sentences thoughts on the playoffs so far. Um, my thoughts on the playoffs so far, I think personally they've been better than the last couple of years, not um, just due to COVID, but I think personal matchups have been better and it's been more fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, it definitely feels like the league is more opened up and it's not like the Warriors-Cavs years where you knew in the off season who the finals matchup was going to be. Um, which, you know, are obviously still interesting and it's great watching dynasties play against each other, but just knowing that there's several different teams that have a legit shot this year, uh, it makes you more invested in my opinion, for sure. Exactly. Uh, And there's newer players too. Yeah. And it is kind of, um, and we can talk about this a little bit when we get to, um, the first round matchup of the Celtics and the Nets, but it really does almost feel like a changing of the guard uh, from kind of the LeBron Durant Curry era to, you know, the Giannis, Jason Tatum, Luca, um, as far as them being like the main guys. Um, you know, obviously the book's not written yet because. Um, Chris Paul's team is still alive. Uh, LeBron's not retired yet. The Nets uh, could come back next year, and who knows that may that comment may look like it doesn't actually hold any water a year from now. But right now, there has been a decided trend of the younger stars uh, making it further than the older stars, at least this this uh, postseason. Um, so, um, what we're going to do is first start off talking about the, each of the Western Conference uh, round one matchups, um, and just kind of go over some of the storylines that have been happening in those games, and uh, just some of the big headlines that um, have jumped out to us, or maybe even stuff that we learned uh, from watching some of those games. Uh, obviously, after that is over, we will hop over and do the same thing with Eastern Conference, and then uh, kind of wrap it up with what has happened so far uh, in round two. Because as we are recording this, uh, round two is underway. Uh, at least a few of the matchups have already started. Um, so for the first round matchup uh, in the Western Conference, we're going to talk about the Suns and Pelicans. So what would be your top storyline that jumped out to you from watching that series? So honestly, I think what stuck out to me most about the Pelican Sun series would be how competitive the Suns were mm-hmm. without Devin Booker. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Any team that can look that good, even when their best player is not there, that's something that um, is a little bit scary. And we'll talk about that a little bit with the uh, Mavs Jazz series as well. But um Man, it sure helps to have Chris Paul around, though. Like, man, that guy is something else. Um, I think it's kind of strange um, that his legacy, in a way, is kind of defined in the playoffs by both success and failure. Um, You know, because you kind of think of him as, like, the perfect game manager in terms of, like, if there's anybody almost ever that you would say, like, hey, I'm going to hand him the ball 
And I'm, I'm not saying they have to score, but they have to make the right decision in this particular scenario. Chris Paul is probably like a top three ever pick. Um, yep. And, you know, there's been game after game after game of like closeout games in the playoffs where even though he's the smallest guy on the court, he's putting up 30 and, you know, hit the last game in the Pelican series and he put up, what was it, 33 on 14 to 14 shooting? Um, you know, oh, so, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And then you look at the other end of it and there's like, oh, well, Clippers collapse after Clippers collapse, and before that, um, you know, his New Orleans uh, era never really went anywhere in the playoffs, and, um, and you know, to be completely fair to him, most of those things have either transpired because of either injuries to him or injuries to his teammates, but, yep. um, you know, I, I think it's very strange that he's looked at and kind of defined by both success and failure. Um, in terms of, of the playoffs, um, I think it's a little bit unfair um, to him. He, I think he's rather clearly one of the better players um, that we have had in in this generation. Um, and even though he's not been my favorite player ever, um, it's absolutely impossible to um, you know to not appreciate what he's done. Um, For sure. Do you remember way back when when the argument was? Who's better, Chris Paul or Darren Williams? Oh, yeah. I was young, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's really weird to think that that was even a conversation at some point now to see the, some of the stuff that he's doing. Like, this year, Darren Williams boxed Frank Gore. Boxed somebody. <laughs> yeah, and Chris Paul's out there dropping 30 in playoff closeout games. So um, I, I guess it kind of goes to goes to show what uh, who outlasted who, but... Uh, I mean, even in the, let's see, what else? else uh, from the Suns-Pelicans, maybe on the Pelicans side, uh, jumped out to you? So, I have a little bit to say about this. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed watching them. Yeah. I think the CJ McCollum trade was amazing for them. Mm-hmm. And if they get Zion back next year healthy, they'll be pretty – I think they'll be legit. Yeah. I mean, that is for sure one heck of a of a what if as to what if Zion had been healthy this year. And, this, you know, they, they had a window with Booker being out. Like, those games weren't blowouts or anything. But, um, you know, we can discuss whatever's going on with Zion if we want to. But – like, man, yeah, I, I definitely saw a totally different team than we saw the first little bit of the season. Um, and all the, you know, past things that have been a problem for the Pelicans, whether it was, um, you know, not knowing whose team it was or not enough ball movement, not enough defense especially, um, those things didn't really seem to be a problem this year. And it all felt like they were kind of playing together. Um, I was really impressed with Brandon Ingram. Um, he yes. really seemed like he was ready for the moment. Um, what in particular um, would you say um, the C.J. McCollum trade kind of opened up uh, for the Pelicans? I think it opened up more versatility because mm-hmm. now you add another guy like Brandon Ingram who has mid-range three-point and he plays defense. Um, but I think you also add a leadership perspective to like people like herb jones and jose alvarado yeah 
who are rookies and they uh, they need they need older veterans like that coming in a program. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think um, you know, in the playoff series, it's it could sometimes even be something as simple as someone to get the ball past half court, but you really need someone that has even just a little bit been there. Um, to kind of take that pressure off of exactly guys like you said, like Alvarado, uh, Herb Jones, like they're great players, but they're so young and they're pretty inexperienced. And, you know, I was actually pretty impressed with how they played. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right. Like the fact that CJ was there opened them up to play without pressure. And if they had been, you know, option one and two for, um, you know, ball handling or offense in certain scenarios, then they probably would not have played as freely yeah um and you know i think the moment would have gotten to them just a little bit more um what is your thoughts i guess we gotta you know talk about the elephant in the room no pun intended um what is your thoughts on the zion situation oh my gosh i mean (laughs) it's it's hard to choose a side on was he good enough to play physically or did he just not want to Mm mm-hmm I don't know. Because yeah. I saw the other day, I saw a thing with him talking about if he got a contract extension with the Pelicans, he would stay. Mm. And I'm just like, would you though? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if he wants to stay. I really don't. Yeah. it's It's hard to say that someone wants to stay when they literally – didn't have a, an injury that we saw and still missed an entire season. Um, like, that's rough. It's not on the Ben Simmons level by any means. Like, I don't think he's, um, you know, has a competitive fire issue or anything like that. Um, he definitely showed he's got a little bit of a, you know, monster in him. But it does feel very much like a hey, I'm going to hold my leverage, I'm going to get the contract, and then as soon as it goes bad, I'm going to ask for a trade after he's already got it. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, to me, I think that's a little bit frustrating. Like, it sucks that the teams are sort of in a scenario where they either get nothing or overpay somebody that they know is going to ask out. Um, It's kind of frustrating. I think that's what will probably happen with Kyrie. Um, some team out there is going to want to pay him max money, but, um, you know, you're getting someone that'll be there. Um, I think they said, um, that he has played over 66 games, like four times in his whole career. Like, so, um, you know, it's just one of those things that's unfortunate that the way the, you know, the cap is structured and the way that desperate teams will, will do desperate things, um, that you can literally not play and have more leverage than someone that does play on your team. Yeah, that's wow. It's wild, man. It's really wild. It's, uh, I don't know. It's tough. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, as we are recording this on, um, you know, May 4th, uh, the Suns did go on and win that series. The Pelicans, I do think, uh, I'm absolutely right there with you that they have a bright future and all that is definitely looking up, uh, for sure. And, what would you say, uh, you know, the Suns are now in uh, in round two. They have Booker back. Based on the first game, which we'll talk about a little bit later, he looks healthy. Is their ceiling still the ceiling of the number one 
seed by far in the Western Conference that they were all season. Did you see anything in round one that makes you doubt that a little bit, or do you feel even stronger about it? I personally think they kind of stayed the same since last year. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think they'll still end up making it all the way to the NBA Finals, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I don't know what the East is going to bring. Yeah. So, it's it's all going to depend. Yeah. I think, I think they might be stronger playoffs this year just because they went through the whole thing last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they know what to do to get back to where they were. Yeah. No, 100%. Like, it kind of reminds me not quite as much uh, of like a, you know, Avengers Endgame type of feel as this, but it reminds me of when the Spurs lost the 13 finals and you knew like there was no way they're not making it in 14 and winning. And exactly. Like, uh, there is something to be said from having something that big like a finals win within grasp and getting it taken away from you um you know that i think the competitive fire that that brings out is definitely worth mentioning and it's a bigger factor than i think uh you know it gets talked about um it's a big deal it's a, it's a big deal for sure um let's see no i totally agree i think they i i don't feel any different about phoenix from round one than i did uh, during the season, uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. So, Grizzlies-Timberwolves was the second uh, matchup, the two versus um, seven matchup in the West. And what were some of the takeaways that you took from watching that series? Because I, I made this comment to you at work the other day, but it was the drunkest series I've ever seen in my life. Like, some yeah. really sloppy basketball, some really weird decisions, just stuff like that. Like, is there even a, a good way to evaluate a series like that? Like, what did you get from it? I just, the series for me, I think was really good for NBA basketball. Mm-hmm. Because with the series being as close as it was and the young players competing the way they were, mm-hmm. was really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I learned that Desmond Bain is such a leader on the Grizzlies team. And if they don't have him firing on all cylinders, they can be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I also learned it's the same thing with Carl Anthony Towns. Anthony Edwards is not always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And if Carl Anthony Towns is not there, same thing with them. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. I think, um, you know, as far as the, Grizzlies go I was extremely impressed with Desmond Bain like I'd seen him throughout the him throughout the season and you know there's the whole thing with Jaw gave him his most improved because he thought he deserved it more and stuff like that like he really has gotten way better and surpassed any expectations of him um, but I didn't know you could be that good at a three-point shooter with T-Rex arms like that's really impressive yeah. <laughs> like he does not look like he could shoot <laughs> he he just his his body form is definitely weird. Yeah, he's not he's like a basketball player. <laughs> he's, he's definitely making it work. Um, you know, one thing I, I definitely want to bring up about the Timberwolves side of it is kind of there was a little bit of hey, like I'm really, really, really sold on these star players on the Timberwolves, and I feel even worse about these others. Um, I'm sure you can guess, you know, where I'm going with that, but. 
you know, Anthony Edwards absolutely showed up for the moment. He was 100% there. I mean, before the draft, he there was even people saying, well, I don't even know if he likes basketball. Like, he's more just an athlete. Like, And he's been amazing. Okay. So I think, um, you know, I don't know. It, it's probably too early to say, is he the correct number one pick? Uh, he's definitely, it was correct to go above Wiseman. Uh, we can debate Lamelo at some point, but um, but man, he was definitely ready. I think he's got um, a real nasty streak in a good way. Um, that's really really fun to see. And you know, even though he made it happen for a couple of games there, the absolute lack of basketball awareness in any way that we saw from Towns for an entire series minus one game was just kind of alarming it's not yeah. like he's brand new like he's been in the league for seven years he was the uh he's what i call my my draft class because obviously i was never going to go to the nba i don't have that kind of talent but <laughs> if i were to do a one and done season in college that would be the first year i would have been eligible to be drafted mm-hmm. and so i remember growing up thinking like hey i really hope the number one pick from my year is someone super cool and I can be like, wow, like that was the person that made it the same year that, you know, if I was good, I would have made it. Um, and I got Carl Anthony Towns for mine. Like that's so like disappointing. <laughs> and I've had that thought for like a long time and it just sucks to be like, wow, like that's the guy that made it from my year. Carl Anthony Towns, like the goofiest, <laughs> like fake tough guy in the entire league. Like, Oh, he's something else. Oh, man. Like, how did you evaluate that game where he was, like, every single moment he was trying to, you know, show (laughs) he was in the Mamba zone? Like, it was just so, like, (laughs) awkward to watch. And it was working. Like, he was the number one pick for a reason. It's not like he's a bum. But, like, uh, you know, you also can't be the, you know, so-called star of your team be the face of the franchise been in the league for seven years and you're still fouling out of games for over the backs when you didn't have a chance it just is kind of ridiculous like uh, I, i expect some of that stuff like we've seen uh you know jaron jackson also in the same series he's definitely had foul trouble issues fouled out again last night um a little bit too aggressive and that kind of stuff but he's in like year three or four like Carl Anthony Towns is not like a brand new player. He's like 26. So I don't know. I don't know. I, that definitely was not a good sign to me. Um, although I'm not as low on him as other people are, I was pretty disappointed with what we got from D'Angelo Russell. He kind of was just not really there at all. Um, I, I saw, or I heard a comment on another podcast uh, the other day that, talked about how D'Angelo Russell is really good at the hard things and really terrible at the easy things. <laughs> and yes. that was something that really stood out to me because I hadn't put it into words, like why he was good, but not good. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Like that's, that's what it is. It's like um, when you, I, I can't think of who I'm thinking of off top. Oh, uh, a Cam Newton and Cam Newton mm-hmm. always could hit those, crazy you know long deep routes to um you know speedy receivers but he couldn't hit somebody at the line throw it 10 yards over their head (laughs) because he had such bad accuracy issues and that was kind of one of the first people that i remember thinking like 
man, they've got all the talent in the world, but they do the easy things as terrible as I've ever seen. And uh, that's kind of what I feel with D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, he's not as good as at basketball as Cam Newton was at football, but um, but I get kind of the same feeling watching them. Do you feel he fits in with the Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns era that's going to be in Minnesota, though? Ooh, I do. Um, I think... You know, I this is going to be a weird comparison, but he kind of, as far as like what his role should be, reminds me of Lonzo Ball, but not. That's a good exactly defender. what I was thinking. Really, like he's a yep. good like he moves the ball when he's plugged into what his role should be. He's good at it. I think he just thinks he's a star too often and goes outside of that. But when he stays in it, like he's like a perfect kind of star supporting player like i i do think he fits but he's got to buy into why he fits um, yep. if he thinks he fits in because he's the third star then it's not going to work um but yeah no so you were thinking lonzo too yeah, that's exactly who i was thinking nice 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 well it means we're on the same page then <laughs> yeah. but no that's good um and you know they both kind of have had a similar story you know both started out with the lakers both were number two pick both were kind of seemed like a bust for a while and then seemed good later, you know, both for different reasons. But, mm-hmm. but I do think there is a huge, um, they've got something there with their feel for the game, both of them. Like they know where to be, they know what to do, they know who to hit when with a good pass. And, um, you know, he just does the easy things very poorly and maybe he can get out of that. Maybe he can't, but um, I think if he does do that, he can fit the, the core of the team what do you think do you think he's a good fit for for the rest of that um star trio i think so for the same reasons you were saying i think he can be like lonzo but not the max potential that lonzo has yeah i was extremely high on lonzo when he was in the draft like i didn't know he was necessarily you know think he was going to be jason kidd or something but um <laughs> I did think he was definitely going to be a great player as long as he was used correctly. And, you know, first several years of his career, he wasn't. He was nope. used in horrible positions. Um, and you, you could see it, right? Like almost every game in the beginning of Alonzo's career, it was like, okay, so they're going to have him try to break ankles and run the offense in the half court. But before he could shoot, that was a really bad idea because he doesn't have the tightest handle and he couldn't shoot. So he couldn't make that work and they wouldn't let him get out and transition and run. And then when they did, he would throw these unbelievable passes you've never seen before. And it was like, why don't you just do that more? Um, and, but now he's, uh, last couple of years now that he can shoot, it's definitely opened up for him. So I'm really looking forward yes. to the rest of, of what he can do. Um, I've always been a bigger Lonzo fan than LaMelo. I'm not saying he's better, but that's kind of more the players I gravitate to is the players that have the approach to basketball that Lonzo does. Me too. Uh, but I, I like that he he's he's good with just being part of the team. Um, I really wish we had somebody uh, like him in Dallas, actually. I think he'd be awesome being a, in Dallas, being a good um, you know tall defender and also a ball mover. And so uh, I think he'd be perfect in Dallas, and uh, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get him, but that's the kind of player I would want. But um, 
All right, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, unless you had something for the Grizzlies and Timberwolves, is that I wanted to kind of discuss, and I don't know if I have an answer yet, but what are your thoughts on the Grizzlies' youth in terms of this year's playoff series? Like, how does that affect them positively or negatively? I think, see, that's that's a really good question. Because I was already really surprised how their regular season went, mm-hmm. even when Ja was not playing. Yeah, I thought they'd be good, but I didn't think two seed. Yes, and I think the the round with the Warriors is going to be it'll be interesting because mm-hmm. it'll be a um, experience filled Warriors team mm-hmm. with Jordan Poole. Yep, and then a bunch a bunch of kids that have not really been in the playoffs before. Yeah. And I think it's either going to go really well or really bad, depending on how they're coached and how they play. Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, I think Golden State will probably win in five or six just because the experience level. Yeah. Yeah, I had had a pretty similar conversation with my girlfriend last night, and we were talking about basically the same question. And I guess what I kind of came – the conclusion I came to, which is similar to what, what you had, is that I think round by round, it sort of changes because the pressure changes, right? So It's in, like another round. Yeah, exactly. So round one, I think their youth was an advantage. It was somewhat of an advantage, somewhat of a disadvantage. It's kind of a mixed bag because the other team was young too. Um, yep. But in this current round with the Warriors, exactly what you said. Like their youth could definitely be... Um, a bad thing in terms of inexperience because of who they're playing at the same time though it could be an advantage because they can run the heck out of uh, golden state and golden state can't keep up with it Um, and they might just have enough inexperience in a cocky like we don't know that we should be nervous way that Mm -hmm. they could get through this round Um, i'm not saying they will and I'm not saying they even should, but it's possible. Like, we've seen that before with teams that were so young, but also so, like, out there personality-wise. And John Morant is obviously the heart of that team and the heart of that personality style um, on that team. But um, it's a possibility anyway. Um, I do think if they get past that round, though, it definitely becomes more and more of a disadvantage uh, because you start to feel it. You know, Western Conference finals, finals, like those decisions, those Jaron Jackson fouling out, those, oh, all of a sudden Jaws not hitting the threes that he's been hitting in the first two rounds. Like, what do you do to respond to that? Like, all that starts to become more and more of a disadvantage. I don't think you're going to, you know, run Boston or Milwaukee off the court in the finals just from an athletic standpoint anymore. No shot. So um, I definitely think it depends on the round as to how it will impact them. And, and also a lot of that goes into the matchup. But uh, yep. I'm really excited to see how the rest of this current round with Golden State plays out and whether it will be an advantage or disadvantage. Because so far, it's tied. So, um, and John Ham last night. Oh, my goodness. I 
every time I think I've seen the best thing he's ever done, he does something else. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Did you see the play when he did the behind the back crossover and just dropped Jordan Poole to the ground? Yep, floater. Oh, oh it was ridiculous. Um, some of the passes that he was hitting, like they weren't even necessarily the highlight because sometimes a guy didn't make the shot, but I was just like, wow, like how did he even get that pass to where it was going or how did he even manage to pass it to that person before hitting the ground? Like um, the stuff he's doing on an athletic standpoint is ridiculous. And I don't think um, that there's anybody on Golden State that can keep up with him, um, especially now that Gary Payton's out, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Do you think that was a dirty play? I don't know. I don't know. I, really I think it's I've reckless. Watched that so many times. <laughs> yeah, I think it's reckless. I don't nec- I don't think it was like an intentional injury type of thing. But I think he was just trying to foul him to where it wasn't an and one, and he had to make both free throws. Yeah, like sort of a playoff foul, like they used to yep. say. Yeah, that's what I think was happening. I think it was the wrong time, obviously, with him being in the air to try that. But I that's I definitely think that it was more of an attempt to do that than an attempt to knock him out for the game. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on, um, since this sort of merges into the next one anyway with the Warriors and Nuggets, but what are your thoughts on what they are currently calling uh, the new death lineup? Oh, I love it. I <laughs> Jordan Poole has developed very quick, actually. Mm-hmm. And he is he is his stock is rising so fast. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it yeah, adds that, uh, it adds the younger standpoint, mm-hmm. putting pool in that lineup instead of like Kevon Looney. Mm-hmm. And you, you make that faster lineup to where you can compete with the younger kids. I think. Yeah. yeah and, uh, I think you have to. Yeah. I mean that lineup when they, when they have that lineup on the floor, it is very scary. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot that uh, teams can do with it when they have that lineup uh, as far as, like, who to stop. I'm a little bit worried as far as that lineup goes with how good it will be defensively since that was sort of the big thing with the first death lineup and, and then the Kevin Durant version of it was yep. that they were ridiculous defensively because they could um, they could still stop whatever you were trying to do and there wasn't really, like, the closest thing you could do to finding a point to attack is Steph, and he's not a bad defender. He's just not as good as the others. Um, on this one, there's definitely a couple of spots you could attack. Um, so I don't think it's quite the defensive menace it used to be, but it might be the most unstoppable, um, like, backcourt scoring version that they've had. Um, yeah. So it's definitely going to be something to watch out for. It's obviously been working so far. Um, although it remains to be seen how much of that was because their opponent was not there for it. Um, so their round exactly. one opponent was the Denver Nuggets. Um, obviously, there's not a lot to talk about what the Denver Nuggets did or didn't do this year because 120% of that rises and falls with. Uh, a mixture of what Jokic can do on his own and who his teammates are. And so um, his teammates this year just weren't that good with Murray and Porter being out. Um, 
with Murray and Porter, assuming that they play well, that's an extra what like twenty five to twenty or um, I'm sorry, forty five to like forty seven points a game, almost yeah. guaranteed. Um, and it, it, I I remember hearing this one time that it was kind of interesting and something I hadn't thought about is um you know when someone's hurt and your backup is good and they come up there, that's fine. That your starting lineup probably won't be impacted that much. But you're almost more negatively impacted um, by the fact that now you have to play someone who's not good. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and so um, I think that happened a few times to Denver this year. And there was people playing in the playoffs that might not have made some other teams. Um, so, you know, like I said, we don't have to talk about what could have happened with Denver because we know it wasn't going anywhere without those players being available. Um, do you still look at Denver the same way, assuming they get those two players back next year? Like, how do they fit in? Do they Is there a spot for them next year or some of the teams that were below them catching up? Um, what does that look like for them? Depending on how healthy Michael Porter and um, Jamal Murray come back, I think there's still a very big spot for them. Mm-hmm. Um because I think what I would do personally is I would bring off Aaron Gordon and Will Barton off the bench, mm-hmm. and that adds more depth. Mm-hmm. And then adding Michael Porter and Jamal Murray back is crazy. We just saw what Jamal Murray did in COVID season mm-hmm. right before he got hurt. Yeah. And that was still without Michael Porter for a little bit, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. Do you think um... – have you been impressed with what you've seen from Bones Highland? Yeah. Oh, I love him. I <laughs> I love him so much. Yeah. I think he's one of those like um he's one of those like confidence guys that you wish was on your team. Um yes. and he brings energy. Um, you know, the the Mavs or um I'm sorry, the Phoenix version of that years and years ago, um, was whenever they would throw in Barbosa. Uh, four little spurts and he would go out there and, and kill everyone for 15 minutes and go back to the bench. And so yep. it's, it's cool to see what he's been able to do. Um, and I was impressed with the fact that he was able to, um, you know, perform well, uh, being thrust into that sort of situation so early. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were, they were overmatched overall. Um, definitely as a team, do you feel like, um, People are unfairly criticizing Nikola Jokic because of his teammates' injuries and saying, uh, well, this was our MVP. Like, um, I mean, we don't have to get into what MVP should really be about, but um, do you think the criticism that he's taking is unfair because of the injuries, or do you think it's fair because, hey, he's the MVP, he should have just been able to at least make a bigger dent? I personally think it's unfair because mm-hmm. – in my opinion, he still put up MVP numbers. Yeah. And he can only do so much. Yeah. To me, it it makes me feel like if we didn't judge LeBron for not being able to take the pre-Anthony Davis Lakers to the playoffs, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, we can't feel any different about this. And Same LeBron, Yeah, and LeBron even had more... Um, you know, of a resume before that to where we were expecting it. So, um, you know, one player can't do everything no matter how good they are. 
Uh, and when they do, it definitely it definitely sticks with us like it did uh, over the course of the regular season. But all right, well now we are going to go on to the Mavericks and Jazz. Um, you know, full disclosure for anybody listening, I'm a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. Um, this series was an emotional roller coaster for me, mostly highs, but um, a couple of um, you know a couple of drops that definitely scared me. But um, what did you see that either makes you feel differently about Dallas or Utah uh, from that series? Man, Jalen Brunson. I yeah. mean, he hit a whole nother gear while Luca was out. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's that's the reason they won the series. Yeah. Um, Donovan Mitchell was real underwhelming the mm-hmm. last few games. Um, and in my opinion, he needs out. Yeah. Well, I heard reports that Rudy is saying that he wants them to either pick him or Donovan and you know, he's going to leave if they don't pick him. And so. see, if I I saw that, and I'm like, if you're like, if I'm the Jazz front office, and I see that, I'm I'm saying, see it, a Rudy Gobert, because <laughs> he is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think you can get someone for less value mm-hmm. that will end up playing better mm-hmm. and can give you more minutes. And I think Donovan, I think him and Donovan Mitchell have not always been. Um, they they have they've never meshed well. Yeah, no, and they're not opinion. the type of players that should be together. Um, and I think that's what Donovan Mitchell needs is someone that he can mesh well with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, the fact that they have had to lose the way they have over the last couple of playoff rounds uh, has definitely, you know, whether he was aware of it or not it sapped a little bit of his aggressiveness i I think the inevitability uh you could you could almost see it on his face it was like wow this isn't going to work anyway and he wasn't pushing as hard as he was like that bubble season when he was averaging like 30 a game and doing ridiculous stuff against the nuggets but um you know one thing i definitely uh think about Utah is I wasn't expecting their defense to be as terrible as it was. Um, you know, I do yeah. think it, 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 and it's an argument for another day, but I've always been a big proponent of the whole um, argument against Rudy for the defensive player of the year thing. Like, hey, if you can put together a game plan to make this defender look awful and score on them every single time down the court, can they be the defensive player of the year? Uh, probably no. not. And Dallas did nope. that. Like the entire series was either they literally switched between hunting Rudy and hunting hunting uh, Donovan Mitchell, which should be humiliating if you're the Jazz that yeah. the game plan was attack your two best players and it worked. But um, but I definitely was was surprised by how terrible Donovan Mitchell was on defense. Um, he is ridiculously athletic, and I have maybe mistakenly have thought of him as a defensive player in the past. Um, and like I said, the, the game plan was just run it down his throat and it worked. So um, he almost more often than not just got out of the way. Um, so I guess, um, you know, we'll find out next season, depending on where he is, how much of that was, I don't want to be here and how much of that was, he can't defend. 
but um, I guess we'll find out. I definitely agree with everything you said about Brunson. I was most impressed with not just his scoring ability, but his composure and decision-making. He was was really, really mature. Yeah. It was like every time and Dallas has had a tendency, especially in the Luca era to be very like heat checky. And we get very ahead of themselves and, you know, shoot too early. And a lot of that was probably because of the bad chemistry with uh, KP before. And a lot of players, including him, felt like they needed to shoot it when they had it or else they wouldn't get it again. Um, but Brunson, every time that Dallas was on the verge of getting just a little bit too far out of reach or just a little bit too sloppy to where they couldn't bring it back, he would go down and make the right play. Um, whether it was him scoring or whether it was somebody else, it was like he just decided, like, okay, well, I'm scoring this time, and it just happened. And doing that at his size is just ridiculously impressive. Um, yes. I was I was so impressed. I, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day, and we were talking about how last year it was so frustrating having that quote-unquote uh, second star with KP on the team, but he was never available and he didn't really fit everybody else. And he was kind of a liability in certain matchups. And, and little did we know the second star was on the team. He just wasn't being used correctly, but, um, yep. you know, having him emerge the way he has, I am praying every day, three times a day that Mark Cuban <laughs> pays him whatever he wants <laughs> because he needs to stick around. Like they have found something and I think he's better served being a co-star on a good team than being a ter- uh, a you know somewhat reliable headliner of a bad team. So um, exactly, I, I really hope that he sees that too, and is not just you know running for for the money. But um, I guess we'll find out this off season. What did you um, think about the rest of either Utah or Dallas uh, as far as like their role players? I really liked Maxi Kleba mm-hmm. in this series. He hit shots when he needed to, mm-hmm. and he played defense when he to. I mean, that's that's all the Mavs really needed was one other person, yeah, preferably a role player to do something like that. Yeah, and I think he really impacted why the Mavs won that series. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely impressed with his shooting i was impressed with the fact that he he knew when to shoot and that sounds obvious but like you know some guys like burton scares me to death every time he's in the game like he gets the ball and throws it up no matter what's going on and maxi doesn't do that he makes the right play if he's the most open one that it will ever get to on that possession he'll shoot it and even if he's been missing he's not afraid to shoot it again And he's not going to take bad shots, which is really good. Because sometimes, as much as I love him, uh, Luca takes horrible shots. And so you need your role players to not do that so that uh, it doesn't become a team-wide problem. Exactly. But, um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. uh, I think from a Utah standpoint, Jordan Clarkson was Jordan Clarkson. Oh, he was Um, ridiculous. I was terrified of him the entire time. He is just – he's what you want in a six-man. Like him and Tyler Hero, like that is what you want. Yeah. And I I just don't think – I think Royce O'Neal 
granted, he's not like a score. He's not a score first type type of uh, player, but I think they needed more scoring from him in that series. Yeah, he was basically only open threes and sometimes layups if Dallas gave it to him. But um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I uh, you know, like you kind of talked about with Rudy and and Donovan, I think it is definitely blow it up time. Uh, for the team whether that means coach and either one of those stars or even both um, something definitely needs to change because they can't just keep you know playing um, groundhog day over there that's not fun but exactly um, let's see I had one more thing about Utah believe oh I just want to get your opinion if you were the Utah Jazz um, you know general manager would you pick Donovan or would you pick Rudy? I think from what Rudy just said, I'm picking Donovan. Mm-hmm. And I think, and like I said earlier about Rudy, I think you can find a more productive player who will play for you for less money than he will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally think Donovan would be willing to stay if and play harder if you get someone he would mesh with. Yep. You know, I think I, that's something he's missing. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think a good example of someone that could do some of what Rudy does for a lot less is, I mean, just look at Miami. They have Dwayne Dedman, who's barely making any money. And, you know, he's not out there for the entire game or anything. But when he's out there, um, he's definitely not being played off the court or anything. And you're paying him a fraction of what Rudy's about to be making and already is. Um, exactly. You know, I and you know one player on Dallas. Um, you know, that I had been pretty critical of uh, for a while had been Dwight Powell because it was just really frustrating to go into every single game and know. Well, we lost the center matchup at least, like, and so. Yeah. Um, but I've been yeah. really impressed with him this playoffs. I, I think he's he hasn't been amazing or putting up crazy numbers or anything, but he knows how to play his role, and he has chemistry with Luca. And honestly, if you only are going to have him in there for 15 minutes a game anyway and play small ball with the rest of it, you could do a lot worse for what they're paying him. So um, yep. I have been impressed with what I've seen, even if I have not been impressed in the past. Um, and I think um, I really, I mean, going back to the series as a whole, mm-hmm. I think with all those, with all the players, not including Luca, when he was out, the reason they won that series was because they all made the right decisions and they didn't fold under pressure. Yeah, yeah, I've been impressed with Jason Kidd's coaching. I think. Uh, me it, too. It, it makes me laugh thinking about back in. Um, oh, I can't remember if it was either in Brooklyn or Milwaukee when he had the whole like, "Hey, like, run into me so we could spill the drink." <laughs> <laughs> and he's come a long way from that. Um, he has. He's he's good about like making the team um, you keep their composure and saying like, hey, like we're just like you said, like we're not going to get out of hand, even though we're not doing too well right now. Like we're not going to panic. We're going to do what we do well. He calls timeouts at the right time to to stop momentum, which seems obvious, but man, there are some teams that just don't do it. There was. Um, in the Memphis and Minnesota game, there was a time when uh, Memphis went on like a 26 to one run and there was not one timeout called like that to me is insane. Like you wouldn't at least yeah, after like eight or 10, like say like we need to talk about it. Like, so yeah, you have uh, to. 
yeah I, I think uh i think jason kidd uh is doing a good job over there because and clearly everybody likes each other and believes in each other which uh, yep. has not been the case um the past couple of seasons uh in dallas um anything else that we need to talk about western conference round one before we hop over to the east not that i think of i think we covered uh everything all right sounds good um, so the first Eastern Conference round one matchup is going to be uh, the Heat and the Hawks. Um, so obviously the Miami Heat um, finished that off. Was it in five or six? I, I think it was, it was five. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so I was particularly blown away with how awful Trey Young was. Um, yep. That has to be the number one storyline. Um, I don't know if you heard the reports about the um, end of the game five um, uh, out of timeout inbounds play when um, Nate McMillan said that the number one option on that play was uh, was Trey Young, um, but reportedly he was not even involved in the huddle and just stared straight ahead the entire time. And whenever the team broke huddle to go back out there, he was already on the court and uh the ball never went his way, and Atlanta never even got a shot up. So, um, you know, that tells you all you need to know about what was what was happening as far as a, uh, I guess, on a emotional, mental uh, sense for Atlanta. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Trey Young based on this series and what you've seen from him outside of the series? Like, is this um, the outlier, or is last season... Trey Young being the villain against the Knicks, an outlier. <laughs> I mean, as an undersized guard, the production he's had so far in the league is kind of crazy to me. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, defense always turns up come playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't deal with that type of defense. The Heat played against him. Mm-hmm. In the series, um, and granted, I personally think the Heat probably have top top three defense in the league. Yeah. Um, and they they had a game plan knowing like all we have to do is stop Trey. And yeah. I think I think Trey started doing too much. Mm-hmm. And granted, I don't think this series was an outlier. I think he'll come back next year and be perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um. I just think last year, the New York series, it was – that also could have been – I it's hard to compare because yeah. I think both the defense that was played on him in the Heat series and the way he played in the New York series were both outliers because – They might be more New matchup York, dependent. Exactly. Yeah. Because what New York gave him last year was not what the Heat gave him this year. Yeah. Um, I think next year, though, he will come out perfectly fine. I think he's going to put in a lot of work this offseason knowing that, hey, I just um, sucked this series. Mm-hmm. I need to be better. And I, I think he, I think he'd be willing to put in work and get better this offseason. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, it, you know, same thing with the Mavs uh, thing in full disclosure. I can't stand Trey Young. Um, so it was really fun to watch him play terrible yeah. for five games, but um, but no, I definitely can't deny his talent or his knack for the moment. 
And, um, you know, like you said, I think Miami's defense is incredible. They, you know, it's sort of a meme at the moment, the whole heat culture thing, but it is really impressive that despite numerous changes in personnel over the past, like, 15 years, they've still been good at the same things, um, which is really impressive. Um, I'll never forget when um, Lynn Sanity happened and Jeremy Lynn's first game of coming back down to earth was against Miami because they just sold out completely to just embarrass him basically. And, um, and that's kind of what it felt like in this, in this game was just like, Hey, like you said, they, they said our game plan is stop Trey. No one else will be able to score enough. And it worked. Um, it was kind of the opposite of, you know, I remember several years ago when I was growing up, uh, it was a, uh, playoff series between the Spurs and the Suns back when like Steve Nash and Tim Duncan and all that and the Spurs kind of had the opposite strategy and because they knew that Steve Nash liked to pass and they were like all right we're going to take out all your teammates like good luck scoring 40 but 40 points isn't going to beat us and mm-hmm. it worked and uh and I, I think it's really smart because they knew what he wanted to do and so kind of like what you were saying earlier is they Trey Young is a great passer, but he is a score first, do everything yourself player first. And so taking out what he did want to do and knowing the quality of his teammates wasn't quite there offensively to pick up the rest of the slack. It was both he couldn't get the ball to them and also he didn't trust them. And you saw how it played out. Exactly. But um, I definitely think... um, the Hawks are a team to watch for trades. They have almost every player on their team is someone. A so team many want. Yeah. Yep. I think they just have too many. Um, they're definitely the kind of team that will consolidate like, you know, two pretty decent players for one pretty good player. Like we'll see what that looks like, but I would definitely watch for, for teams to be um, trade hunting with Atlanta uh, for sure. Um, what do you think? about Miami um what did did you see anything different was it just kind of like you know not a lot to learn from this series because we knew it was a good matchup and they were the one seed anyway um you know is there anything that made you feel differently about them than you did going into it you know going in I had that feeling of maybe the Hawks will do something but also at the same time I I thought Miami was going to sweep um I was not underwhelmed by anything, and I think they looked pretty. They looked, I mean, they looked about the same as they did throughout the season. Um, Jimmy Butler had a really good series, mm-hmm. and Victor Oladipo is starting to make his way back in the rotation. Yes, which he looked I, real good. I mean, yes, I think, I think his athleticism was, was for sure. I was I was impressed with how athletic he looked. I I would have thought maybe he would be okay shooting and you know doing some you know former star does smart things in a like old Grant Hill type of way. But yep. you know, he was like really good and looked like himself. So that was impressive. Um yeah, I mean I think same thing. Like I was impressed with what they did. They carried out their game plan the way they always do and nothing made me feel any differently about them so it was almost kind of like okay cool that's what i thought um, yeah it, that series was i think that series was the most anticlimactic one yeah it was kind of like going into it you could you could predict what happened and if you predicted that you were probably right 
Um, yeah. Awesome. So then we'll go over to probably the biggest, um, you know, storyline in the entire East, which was the Celtics versus the Nets. Um, so there's plenty of different directions we could take this. Um, being a Mavs fan, I'm going to take that route first. Um, but I think it was very interesting that the Mavs and Celtics had an almost exactly parallel season, um, just in different sides of um, the conference. So, you know, they both had a new coach this year. Um, both of them had a terrible start to the year with a team that had the same flaws and then made a midseason trade and got their good players back. And all of a sudden, second half of the year were insanely good because of defense and, you know, a one particular star player just going to another level. Um, and they kind of do the same thing. Like they, they um, don't sell out to get rebounds. They instead get back on defense. They shoot a bunch of threes and they find the right guys um, in the right positions and they do a good job of not forcing things. Um, they trust each other. They're tough. Um, is that something that you saw throughout the season as far as like Dallas and, and the Celtics having almost the exact same season, but on different sides of, of the country? I mean, I, I agree with you. I think they had very, very similar seasons. Um, and even like star caliber stuff, mm-hmm. I think Jalen Brunson is starting to turn into Jalen Brown type of player that the Celtics have. Yeah. Um, with Dallas. And I think that's exactly what Dallas needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jalen Brown, because I think earlier in the season with, um, you know, a new coach and then with it already being tough for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to mesh as it was, mm-hmm. I think this season for them was very good. Yeah. Um, they seemed to started me- they meshed really well, and then I think that led to the, the series they just had. I mean... I think it was so impressive that they both jumped to new heights with more or less the same team that they had before. Like, I I think that um, speaks a lot to the coaching. It speaks a lot to um, not necessarily who they brought in as much as who they got rid of. Um, I think the Mavs moving on from KP, obviously Dinwiddie has been a huge help since they got back. Mm -hmm. But even if they got nobody, I think they would have been a little bit better off from a chemistry standpoint. And, you know, the Boston was not going anywhere with Dennis Schroeder. And he's just not the type of player that fits what they're trying to do and almost actively takes away from it. And so, um, you know, I think that was definitely a good trade on their end as well. Um, I guess. And they got Daniel Tice back. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, What are your thoughts on what happened with the Nets? Because I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a team, especially since Kawhi and Paul George, um, you know, blew up and, and paired up together. And it was a whole like, Hey, like all, we need entire teams of six, eight wings that can switch everything. Like Toronto has been trying to do. I've never seen a team with less wings in my life than Brooklyn. Like that was so weird. Like every lineup had like four guards and Kevin Durant and like uh, a couple of centers that both couldn't shoot free throws. So they couldn't play. Like, what do they do from here? 
I think they have they have to take this summer keeping everyone. Um, I think they have to see how Ben Simmons does next year. Yeah, they have to. Um, I think you could maybe trade away Seth Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, honestly, you could trade away Andre Drummond too. Mm-hmm. I think that was more of like a let's just get rid of James Harden type of trade. Um, yeah. when they got Ben Simmons. I personally don't think they'll need Drummond or Seth Curry next year, mm-hmm. especially if Ben Simmons is playing. And they're getting a full-time Kyrie. Exactly. So I think, and granted, I mean, you could still bring Seth Curry off the bench, but I think you at least could get some type of value for Drummond that you have to take advantage of. Yeah. No, I definitely, Clark, yeah, I agree. I, I think, think they both played well. Will be, I think they'll be fine. They'll develop. And they'll be they'll be good centers. Yeah, no, I th- I think so. I I definitely was impressed individually with both uh, Drummond and Claxton as far as like how they fit in on the team. Um, I think it was just a bad matchup for them, so they couldn't be out there a lot. But um, yeah, you know, yeah, I definitely I hate to agree, but I agree on um, on Ben Simmons. I think his his fit basketball wise is perfect on there like he it takes away the pressure that he clearly can't have and he's good at what the rest of the roster is not good at um so you know basketball wise i think it's great um do you think ben simmons even wants to play basketball (laughs) that see that's the biggest question i mean (laughs) it's almost like a zion situation but times like a hundred um I was very upset that he did not play in the the um the Brooklyn Boston series. Um, yeah, I would have liked to just see him one game, just to see just to see what they would have looked like. Yeah, and it would have been um, one thing if if the trade happened and we knew not to expect him, but they teased it the entire time. Which and it was so it was so angering because you're like you're just waiting. And it le- it just left so many people almost speechless of like, well, what do we do now? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was really frustrating, like you said. And, um, and you know, it may be too much of a cliche now, um, you know, the whole Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality. And not everybody is going to be as much of a psycho as him or Michael Jordan, you know, taking everything personally or whatever. Um but you kind of want your stars to do everything in their power to get back and play when you've got games that matter. Um, that's yep. at least something I would want. Like, um, you know, Luca was out there, and uh, and every update we got from Dallas during his injury felt legit. It was like, okay, like, he's trying to come back. Let's not risk it. Brunson's doing good enough. Like, we'll hang on to it. But it wasn't like a we weren't questioning, does Luca want to get back into this series? Like, Luca wanted to kill the Jazz. He hates them. And, exactly. you know, you would hope that that's how Ben Simmons felt, and I'm sure he would have if they were playing Philadelphia. Um, I'm sure he would have felt that way, but I think he would have probably been even less likely to play because of the pressure and the stakes and everything. So um, it's it's a very scary proposition if someone is a – Brooklyn fan to have the fate of your franchise um, kind of depending on 
Ben Simmons and Kyrie. Yep. I, I, I can't think of two less reliable people unless you maybe could talk me into switching Kyrie and Zion. But yeah. um, it, it's really yeah, something yeah. else. It's really something. Yeah. But, um, you know, basketball-wise, though, if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, like, you're still at least in the mix. Um, I think it's hilarious that Kevin Durant is probably, outside of Twitter trolls, probably the least drama NBA star we've had in a long time. And he's just saddled with drama after drama after drama. And um, it's kind of crazy that he went from a team that had possibly the most dependable you know, three co-star lineup ever with Curry, Clay, and Draymond having great mm-hmm. chemistry, were always available, obviously until injuries caught up to them, uh, to now his last three stars he's linked up with is Ben Simmons, who didn't play, Kyrie, who played part-time, and <laughs> James Harden, who quit on the team. Yep. And he had Russ before that. So it's, um, it's really unfortunate for Kevin Durant, who is quite possibly... Um, well, well, rather easily is the second best player of his generation and probably top 10 ever. Um, yeah. And so it, it's it's just really unfortunate that someone as good as him has had the peaks of maybe the best teammates you could imagine and also the worst star teammates you could imagine um, at the same time. Just weird how all that has worked out and most of it has been his choice, which is really strange. Um, what... Is there a ceiling on this Boston team? You know, I I don't think so. I think they I I, I really think they can win it all this year. Mm-hmm. Um just the way Tatum has been playing with his teammates and the yeah. way they've been playing defense. I mean, I don't know. And Yudoka has been a great coach all season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, granted, Brad Stevens was also a great coach, but um, I, I think, think they Yudoka needed a new was, voice. Yep. I think that's why they've been playing so well. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree with that. I think, um, you know, Tatum really has gotten to another level. Like, he does not look scared out there, and he doesn't even just look not scared he looks like he's so locked in like he's just he's there to take it like kind of the way that that Giannis looked last year in in the final series when he was like okay I can I can smell it now you know um that's how Tatum has looked from the first game uh which is very very impressive he's um like 19 or something if you ask Twitter like (laughs) they still think he's brand new but he's uh He's been great. I think one thing that has improved is his passing. Um, he's always gotten people the ball pretty well because he can see over the defense and you know his body's built really weird, but like his upper body is is to where he can make any pass. Um, but I thought for a long time he was actually a pretty bad passer in terms of like if you got the ball from Tatum and you weren't in rhythm or anything, he like threw it at your feet. Yep. Um, which is really like a weird observation, but um, but I definitely noticed it. But I haven't seen that as much in the playoffs. Like he's getting people passes where they can actually shoot from, uh, which is big because uh, before that, I mean, it's just lazy. But uh, I think that's what was happening before. But 
uh, he's really taken it to another level, and I think he's he is there for it mentally. Um, and it, it's funny that if you think about all the the stuff uh, Philadelphia wise, how they traded down, uh, Boston traded down from the Markel Fultz pick to take uh, Jason Tatum instead. Like all the what ifs that could have happened there. And uh, and I'm a Markel Fultz fan, but um, but it's kind of crazy how that worked out. Yeah. But. But Markel, Markel played, I mean, I don't know if you watched, I mean, you probably didn't because it was the magic, but he, um, <laughs> when he came off his injury at the end of the year, I, I saw some spurts of him maybe being pretty good next year. I hope so. I think he's got a ton of talent. Like, I don't know if his shot will ever come back, but his ability, he's just so athletic and springy, like around the basket. Like, I don't think yep. there's anyone that can keep up with him he just doesn't do it enough and so um i think as that confidence grows uh he can definitely be something and um you know we'll get to philadelphia in a little bit but i'm curious as to if there's something in the water that just makes you doubt yourself or something out there uh with what happened with him and simmons and how harden hasn't looked good and um is joel just is he immune to it? Like, there's just something I, weird. It maybe it's from all the seasons of trying to lose on purpose. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's really it's it can't be too much of a coincidence that multiple top picks from the same team within the same four or five years and then mental collapses like that. Yep. Ah, man, that is that's such a good question because it's almost like what's going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. where this is happening. Yeah. And it, and it makes you think of it from a different perspective. Like, yes, Joel is a great basketball player and he has wildly developed since he was at Kansas. Mm-hmm. He but was so skinny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's, a, it's like Giannis. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just whole different creatures yeah. after spending time in, in the league. And, um, but it just makes you think from a personal and, uh, friendship, friendship, perspective uh, between the players Joel's been with the past few, what five years ish. Mm-hmm. Um, just like what's going on where these players want out or don't want to play or just want a new scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know what may have caused it, but it's definitely not a coincidence that it's happening as often as it is. At least in my opinion, it it feels like the same dysfunction that is happening with the Kings. They're just winning more games because their star players better. Um, yep. You know, I think after a certain point, if you're cursed, you're cursed. But <laughs> I guess we'll find <laughs> out. And like I said, we'll talk about the Sixers here in a little bit. Um, but before that, we got to get to what is quite possibly tied with uh, the Heat and Hawks for um, most anticlimactic series. Um, what did you think about the Bucks Bulls round one? Man, you're right about that. It was very anticlimactic. Um, what I really wish for that series was for them to go in both mm-hmm. healthy with all their players. Um, yeah, I don't think it would changed. <laughs> I I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the series, but I think the series would have been a lot better. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, I was a little bit surprised at 
Milwaukee in a couple of the first games um, let them hang around as much as they did. Um, and maybe they were just trying stuff and knew they were going to win anyway. But, um, but yeah, it definitely is a little bit of a disappointment to not have seen uh, those teams at full strength. Um, you know, but I do think uh, Chicago now having uh, Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball and, you know, DeRozan being on a new level, we'll, we'll see if that happens for another season or not. But yep. um, do you think that they have a solid core to build from or did they assemble it too fast, peaked already, and then now they kind of are like, ah, what do we do now? I think they've got a couple more years of this core. Okay. And then I think they would have to split up because, and you also have to think about uh, Vucevic too. I mm-hmm. mean, granted he's getting, I, I think if they were to, if they were to say bye to Caruso, Vuce, DeRozan, or Lonzo, it would have to be Vucevic because yeah. I think you get the most value for him. And I mean, it's it's weird how they assembled it so fast because I think in the long run Wendell Carter will be a lot better yeah. than what this bitch was. And I think he's a better fit with the lineup today even. Um, yes. I think uh, if you, you know, to kind of go back to Dallas, probably, I promise just one more time. <laughs> but if you think of someone like Dwight Powell, who I talked about earlier, just knows his role and stuff. He's almost more what you want from someone than who than someone who thinks he's a star in that exactly. role to be the fifth option, you know. So um, I don't know. I think Vucevic. I, I've never been a big fan of. I, I, I am a fan of his game, but I'm not a big fan of the whole put someone who's a star in a supporting role before they are out of their prime thing. Um, exactly. I just think unless you can't be any lower than three on the totem pole or else it's going to be real weird. Um, yep. You know, and, and even with at third spot, we saw a little bit of struggles with Kevin Love where he didn't know what to do the first couple of years in Cleveland as a, as a complimentary player. Um, the first season of the, the Heatles with Chris Bosch was not like seamless or anything. Um, as far as everybody finding their proper role within that, I thought a couple of the, um, the first years of like Paul Millsap in Denver was a little bit strange or um, the first Blake Griffin in in uh, Detroit and uh, Brooklyn was strange. Like it's just weird to me when someone who is a star or has been a star is put in a role that's not a starring role a little bit prematurely. Like you got to be a really special player to take that kind of um, assignment and not let it mess with your head and mess with the team's chemistry. And you could tell, like, there was times where Vucevic was either being too aggressive or not aggressive enough because he was still trying to figure out how he fit. Yep. So I almost would rather have someone that's not even thinking about that in that spot. But Exactly. Uh, and that, honestly, in my opinion, I I still never really understood the whole um, Vucevic-Wendell-Carter trade anyway. Yeah. I knew what Magic were trying to do, but I was really surprised – but that also goes back to did the Bulls rebuild too fast? Because mm-hmm. um, they spent all their money at once. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it's you know it's tough because you you don't want to criticize a team too much for trying to get good quick um, because you know I think we all hated when the Sixers were trying to lose all the time on purpose and it was just kind of gross or like 
um, you know, you're a, a Rockets fan, but the past couple of years of Houston, like with them not yeah. really having any talent other than uh, Jalen Green, I'm sure that's frustrating as a fan to be like, well, are we not even attempting to do something? You know? It is. And so you you almost want to respect the fact that they tried to do too much too soon um, because you'd prefer that. Um, but at the same time, like you said, if they used up all their money and their ceiling is first or second round out, yep. what's the point? You know, you'd almost rather be getting those top picks because at least the uncertainty of, hey, this hope is kind of exciting is almost better for a fan base. Like, I don't know. Exactly. And that's like, I know we're not talking about them right now, but the Rockets, um, I'm glad they stayed close in games this year, but end up losing most of them because that opens <laughs> they still up our that pick. <laughs> but it, show, it shows that they can still compete. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting with the no. uh, Bulls. No, I mean you're you're definitely right about Houston. I, I felt kind of the same way about uh, Oklahoma City, uh, at least in yep. the first part of the year. Was they definitely competed even though they weren't good, um, and that's what you want to see. Like you want to see um, the team still get the draft picks that they need, but show some progress and it not feel like a hopeless situation. Yep, I, I'm with you. Awesome. So last series of the oh well, I guess we'd better talk a little bit about the Bucks before we move on. I mean they did win the yeah, title yeah. last year. Um, how do you think the Middleton injury is going to impact them going forward? Because we know what they already did to the uh, to the Bulls, and we know that Drew Holiday has come back better than he was before, and that Giannis uh, yeah. carried on his confidence from the finals last year and has been that guy all season. Um, it, are they going to be good enough to withstand that until Middleton is back? You know, I think... Middleton being out right now puts them in more danger of losing the Celtics series now than who they would play next. Yeah. Um, I think, but I will say, I think Grace Allen has come on pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, but not having Chris Middleton could be the downfall of the Bucks against the Celtics. Yeah, it's it's tough because if you think about matchup wise um you know boston's top two players are both six eight wings and yep. who are you missing like oh you're six eight wing who's an all-star like that's, <laughs> that's kind of tough and so yep. um you know drew holiday and Giannis obviously can guard those guys but the fact that if they you know do that then now they have someone else guarding uh other players that are way bigger and taller than them so um or in Giannis's case, maybe someone who's, um, you know, smaller but can um, a little shiftier, you know, whatever. So it, it just it screws up the matchups. And um, well, and that yeah, and because then you have, I think right now they're starting Wesley Matthews, and that's I think that's having a big, um, I would say like deflation in their in their offensive game. I think. Yeah, that's not ideal in twenty twenty two. Maybe in 2012 it would have been okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's rough. It's kind of uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, some of the stuff that's happened with the Lakers uh, in the past few years. It's like they're starting who? Like they're still playing? Like so? Um, yeah. But I mean, at least he he knows how to fill a role, and he's been there. So hopefully they can. Yeah. You know, for Bucks fans, that they can 
they can survive until Middleton is back. But yeah, it definitely will be. Uh, I think the worst matchup they could have had to lose Middleton is the one they're already in. So um, yeah, you know, I think we'll have to see what happens. But I have been impressed with the rest of the team. Uh, it's been good to see Brooke Lopez back. Um, yes. I don't think I've ever seen a player that was more of a defensive liability become such a good defensive player over the rest of their career. It's really strange, but he's fantastic on defense. Um, I almost wish they ran more offense to him because he's so big and skilled in there. Like, no one's going to stop him. Like, um, you know, their other team is honestly just lucky he's not asking for the ball. Um, for real. So him and Giannis down there together, I don't think there's any chance anyone could stop them if they both no. were asking for it. So, um, And I think, I think with him – I thought it was really scary that he added the three pointer to his bag. Yeah. Um, when I was just I there was there was a time in the season I think it was either one or two years ago where he was just he was pulling from so far out and just <laughs> hitting every time and I'm like if he if he can get back to that I mean they'll be unstoppable with Bobby Portis coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I talked mean, about him at work the other day, Bobby Portis yeah. with, the, with the crazy eyes and the, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think there is something to be said, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, for having that kind of competitive fire. Like, I would rather have someone who's Bobby Portis' talent level but plays crazy like he does than someone yep. who's not sure if they even want to play like Ben Simmons, who in a vacuum is more talented. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's interesting, though. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I love Bobby Porter stuff. He's so fun to watch. I think uh, <laughs> he is. It will. We'll have to um, maybe next time we do this, we could um, maybe uh, draft like who we think are like the the best. Um, I don't know what you call. Them, I guess like the hustle, like crazy role player guys. Um, oh yeah, like Portis and Pat Bev and like people like that. I think that would be. Uh, fun to go through and and maybe even do like a dirty player draft or um, you know spoiler alert Draymond sure Grayson one. Allen will <laughs> either him or Draymond will go one um, <laughs> you know so we'll see what happens but I do think uh, Portis is one of those guys that uh, if you are not a fan of his team you're like man I wish he was on my team <laughs> yep but I wish we had him bad in Dallas he would be fantastic off the bench. Um, Let's see. Oh, so last uh, first round series that we need to talk about is the um, Philadelphia 76ers and the Raptors. Um, it's probably best, um, you know, content wise that we discuss Toronto first because there's not as much going on there, but there is some uh, good stuff. Um, how do you yep. feel about the way they're building their team post Kawhi? You know, I really liked, um, I like their Scotty Barnes draft this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he was very valid rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how well he's going to fit with Pascal. Granted, they play different positions, but Scotty is not a scoring type mm-hmm. of player. Um, he's almost more of like a Ben Simmons, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, which, granted, every team could have one of those players, and they would be a lot better. Um, yeah. Fred Van Fleet, kinda, he kind of – What's the word? Scares me. I would say scares me a little bit. Um, 
with him dealing with the injuries and he's starting to get a little older. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already I think at a size an disadvantage that. too. Yes. But I think adding Scotty with, he's what, six, eight, six, nine mm-hmm. guard basically. Um, I think that's a great addition and I think he's going to be a star. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, Scotty Barnes definitely changes the complexion of the team going forward. Um, well, not necessarily the complexion of the team. Like he's kind of exactly who Toronto already tries to go after, but he yep. raises the ceiling, but by a pretty substantial margin. And even this season, like we saw what they did last year without him, and otherwise pretty much the same roster, and uh, and it definitely was a big improvement. Um, the stuff he does is really valuable down there, and I think he'll only get better. So, um, and I liked I liked the Gary Trent pickup too. Yes, Gary Trent is a lot. He's a great player. I think, uh, um, you know, I, th- I think we probably underestimated how good he was playing off of uh, Dame in, in Portland, but he's great in Toronto. He's yep. really looking good. Um, it's really unfortunate for them how shorthanded they were, too, with the injuries, um, with Gary Trent being sick. Uh, I think it was obviously already going to be a bad matchup for them playing Philadelphia. Um, but being shorthanded already, and like we talked about earlier, with when, when you're missing good players, it's not so much worrying about the player that's replacing them. It's who now has to play further down the bench, and that really, yep. really got to them. Um, I will say though, I was very impressed with Chris Boucher. Yeah, um, he played basically out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, um, I was really surprised with him. Yeah, he definitely wasn't scared of of what was going on at all, which I think was really uh, impressive. I was I was happy to see that. Let's see, Philadelphia wise, um, I think we kind of know what you know Embiid brings to the table. We've all been very impressed by what he's done, and like we talked about a minute ago, the fact that he's kind of overcome whatever's bad in the water in Philadelphia, but. Um, you know, I guess two questions. Uh, first one is, do you think Philadelphia can stick around long enough um, for him to get back now that he's got that, um, you know, orbital bone injury? And second question is, is the James Harden that played in Houston extinct? All right. To answer the first question, I don't think they'll be able to stick around long enough mm-hmm. because they don't have another true center. Mm-hmm. They have DeAndre Jordan, but he can, he can only play 15 minutes a game. And they traded away um, Drummond. Exactly. I think that's going to bite them in the butt hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say no. And then is this James Harden extinct? Maybe. that That is a hard question to answer because you have flashes of what he did in Houston – You've seen flashes of it, um, especially in the Toronto series. There was a couple games where he dropped like 40 and 15 or something like that. And um, I think that's something to watch out for. Mm -hmm. I think he can do it. I think James Harden can be the old James Harden if he wants to. I don't think he's giving as much effort as he used to. Yeah, I'm I'm really torn. I think... There definitely, unquestionably, there is an effort issue there, and that is definitely affecting 
uh, his play. Um, some of what I have seen over the years of watching the NBA makes me a little bit nervous about it. Um, I'm not. I'm definitely not the first one to say this, but um, I was a huge, huge, huge Allen Iverson fan growing up. And I have his jersey and the T-shirt with his Slam magazine cover. Um, like you know, oh, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a big fan. But overnight, almost he went from 27 a game to barely making a team, and yep. a lot of it was due to his play style and his lifestyle. And that has sort of been what James Harden has done. And you know, granted, they have vastly different builds. Um, that was what was so impressive about Iverson was that he was so small and, and did everything and quite the opposite. Harden is so big and he can physically dominate a lot of times, but, um, but it does scare me a little to have seen that before and think, you know, if it looks like it's over, it might be over. Um, you know, I'm not saying he can't be a really, really good big point guard, like he kind of is almost more like a better passing Darren Williams at this yep. point. Um, and if he leaned into that, I think he could be good for a few more years. But I do think if someone is hoping for a, you know, 38 and eight uh, offensive engine for your team, I do think those it's days not- are gone. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't see that coming back. Uh, part of it, even is the officiating like he's not getting calls he used to get since the rules yep. were updated a little bit. Um, he can't blow by people anymore. You're not seeing him get to the rim or finish at the rim like he used to. Um, so I definitely think there's some diminishment there. But if he just like said, "Hey, I'm just going to be an overly talented starting point guard," then he could still put up 18 and 11 for probably three more years. Um, yep. But what do you think is going to happen contract-wise? Like, do you – I mean, some team is going to pay him as much as they're allowed to pay him. Is that worth it from what you've seen? No. In my opinion, no. Because he's getting older. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you look at how he's been playing for um, Brooklyn and even the short time he's been in Philly, I – I'm not giving him that contract he wants. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a I'm getting a younger guy who can develop into a better player. Yeah, and I'm a little bit nervous about whether he can play well with others at this point. Um, yep. Which is weird because he's such a good passer, and because we first met him uh, NBA wise as a sixth man. But you know we have seen, hey, he had a great situation in uh, you know Oklahoma City, moved on. And then every star that he's played with since, he's been like, eh, not anymore. And, you know, I, I think you can't really use the argument of overpay a star to get another star when that star has quit on other stars and shipped them exactly. out of town. So you're either overpaying and not getting a star or, um, you know, you are getting one and, and it's going to be tense and underwhelming. So I don't know. I think it's a – it's – like like we talked about at the at the top of the podcast, it's it's really unfortunate that the league is in that position to where someone will pay him, um, but I I think we're in agreement that it's not worth it to. Yep. But um, so I know you said that you don't believe that the Philadelphia 76ers can overcome, um, you know, being without Joel for 
an extended period of time. Um, let's say that this season is a wash. It was the first year in the James Harden era, assuming they sign him. Next year, with a maybe a little bit more effort and more rested up James Harden, uh, a slightly better, improved Tyrese Maxey, um, and Joel coming back fully healthy. Um, do they have a higher ceiling next year? And if so, do they need to do anything roster-wise to make that happen? Or can they compete as is? So I think when they drafted Tyrese Maxey, they did not realize what he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their ceiling goes up a lot more with him. And I think they expected more out of Tobias Harris yeah. than what he was given them. And I think the Sixers this offseason need to trade Tobias Harris mm-hmm. for either bench depth or another power forward. Because mm-hmm. um, I think you got the big three with Harden, Maxi, and Embiid. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. I think uh, Tobias Harris, he's a good player, but he's exactly, um, you know, fits into what we were talking about earlier. When, when, you, over, when you have someone who's overqualified for a very small role, and overpaid for that role, it definitely makes the team dynamics and flexibility very, very difficult. Yep. Um, you know, I think I think there's definitely a world um, where some of those players could have totally fit in if they weren't expecting bigger things for themselves and if the outside people were expecting bigger things from them based on their contract. So it's, uh, it's weird how what could be a, a good basketball fit in an open gym ends up not being that way because of uh, you know all the other stuff around it. So yeah, I don't know. That'll that'll be an interesting uh, I think this this whole this whole NBA offseason will be an interesting summer. Um, yeah. do you think there will be significant changes to the CBA based on situations like Ben Simmons? See that's that's the thing that's hard to tell. It's like Will it or will it not? Um, honestly, at this point, I have no clue. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to gauge it either. Like, I think it something will probably be attempted, but um, but I do find it hard to believe in, you know, as we've heard a million times, the player empowerment era, that people, that the players would consciously agree to something that takes away those guarantees. Exactly. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens from that. But, um, real quick before we, um, you know, kind of close it off for this episode, who's your pick for the round two? We got Suns, Mavs. Who's your pick in that one? I'm sorry to do it to you, <laughs> but I got, I got Suns in six. Ooh. Yeah. You know, honestly, uh, they are the better team. I hope Dallas can pull it off. And the fact that they didn't quit, even though they were getting dominated early in game one, is a good sign. We'll see tonight what happens in game two. Um, But I think if we can take them to six or seven, then that's probably a pretty good scenario. Uh, Because they are better and they're more talented. Uh, Who's your pick, Grizzlies and um, Warriors? (sighs) After seeing Ja play last night, 
this is this is a harder decision to make. Mm-hmm. But I still think it goes Golden State in five. Ooh, man, it's yeah. I think there's an argument for both sides for sure. Um, it's hard to say whether um, you could look at either side and be like, well, they're not that bad off because both were close. And yep. um, and you can make the case for either. I'm going to say. I'm going to say Golden State in six. I think Grizzlies will take another game, but I don't know that the experience is going to be enough to take it all the way to seven. Yep. Um, Eastern Conference wise, we got um, Miami and um, Philadelphia. Um, I'm assuming your pick for that is probably Miami, based on what we discussed. But what's your what's your game's pick? So I think I'm gonna end up going. Gosh, I'm I'm torn about this. I think I'm gonna go Miami and six. I think I agree with you. I, think I, agree. I just I don't I don't see the Sixers winning more than two games. I don't. Yeah, and the I, way the way Miami's been playing right now, it's like. I don't know. It's kind of the polar opposites, too, if you think about, um, you know, Miami is probably the most mentally tough team out there, um, at least from an organizational all the way to the last guy on the bench perspective. Uh, And Philadelphia has whatever's murky in the water like we talked about. So uh, if it does get to, you know, kind of a nitty-gritty series, I kind of would side with Miami in those uh, situations. Um, and I will say though tonight for the game, mm-hmm. there is a possibility that Miami will be without Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, PJ Tucker, and Tyler Hero. Oh wow! So <laughs> I had not that, heard that yet. So yeah, they're getting at least I, I one. Saw that earlier. That's <laughs> yeah. I'm, they got to at least get one, but it'll be interesting if at least two of them are out to see what Oladipo is going to do tonight. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely can can do a lot of carrying on his own, as we saw. So, yep. um, you know, and if nothing else, if they have a constructive loss where he still does really well, like that still helps you long term. Uh, exactly. You probably weren't going to win anyway. Um, let's see. Last um, round two matchup, we got Boston and Milwaukee. This is probably the hardest one to pick. Um, what's your pick? Man, I this this one. I've been so back and forth about this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, especially the way it. the first two games have gone too. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Boston in seven. Wow. I I think they're gonna figure out a way to stop Giannis. Man. It's tough. It, it's real tough. I have a hard time betting against the Giannis that we've seen all year and since the finals last year, just not uh, to, it, I have a hard time betting for a scenario where that guy gets shut down. But at the same time, the conversation around Milwaukee before last year was, is Budenholzer a good coach even? And so yep. if it comes <laughs> down to Udoka versus Budenholzer making good decisions, then you might be right. Um, you know who knows, but uh, on, uh, at the same token, though, before this year, the conversation in Boston was that locker room is so dysfunctional they might fight. So um, yeah, exactly. You know, you never know. I think both team both teams are changed. Um, 
And it may come down to the Middleton thing, like we talked about. So I'm going to say, uh, I everything, I'm going to say Milwaukee in seven, but I do not feel good about it. Yeah, it's it's gonna it's really gonna be which team plays harder mm-hmm. and how they do matchup. I mean that this is gonna be a really good series. Yeah, everything in me from what I have seen on court says Boston is better than I have given them credit for, and Milwaukee's just a little bit worse without Middleton than I've been thinking. Yep. Um, this is really just a bet on Giannis, and we'll see what happens. Yep. But. All right. Well, I think we covered everything we need to cover. Um, next time we speak, we will, you know, I guess cover what has happened so far in round two. Recap everything that's happened there. Um, hopefully, draft a dirty players um, roster, which would be really fun. Um, we'll have to, you know, figure out the details and figure out how many rounds we want to go. But uh, yep, you know, hopefully, at least a good starting five and and a couple of people off the bench for both of us would be would be good but um but yeah is there anything else you feel like we need to um address for round one before we sign off no not that i can think of i think we covered basically everything yeah all right well sounds good well this has been you know another episode of seven seconds or more podcast i think it was a great episode i hope everybody listens thank you (laughs) 